Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to Morning Glory, our midweek Bible study. I'm so happy that you're here today. I want you to grab your Bible so that you can join me as we read the Word of God together and study it. Today we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew chapter uh, chapter 7, verse 24. We're going to talk about building on the rock. Praise God. Now, some of you that have been in the faith for quite a long time, maybe even when you were young, perhaps in Sunday school, you first heard uh, this message taught about building on the rock. Well, whether uh, it's the first time or you've, you know, or you're hearing this again, I want us to understand that we are uh, in a very special time in history where we have to have the foundation correct, mainly because of various storms and so forth in life. So it is very critically important that we cover this message today because we will also have revelation flowing with the prophetic anointing by the power of the Holy Spirit so that this applies to us right where we live at right now and today. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we jump into your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would quicken your word so that we can receive it as spiritual food and that we can take it, meditate upon it, and receive all of the rich rich nourishment that the word, the food provides. Now we give you praise. We thank you for illumination to understand your word, wisdom, and insight. We give you praise. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Verse 24, of course, this is Jesus teaching and speaking. He's been uh, speaking for quite some time. He's going to begin to pull uh, together the conclusion of his lengthy sermon. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Well, if we just say that we want to be a wise man or a wise person or ladies, a wise woman, I think we lose the gravity of what that entails and what that means and of how that can actually play out in our lives. But that, in essence, is what we're wanting to be. We're wanting to be wise people. Nobody wants to be a foolish person, at least not intentionally. So we're endeavoring to walk in wisdom so that we can be wise people. But I think in order to understand this statement that Jesus is making, we need to look at a few scriptures just before it. Because you notice in verse 34, excuse me, verse 24, Jesus says, therefore, whoever hears. So when he's using the word, therefore, he is bringing a wrap up of everything that he has previously said, and he's condensing it into a real powerful nugget that we can examine. So the word, therefore, uh, is a consummation of what he has been speaking before, and that is very important. Let's look at just a couple of scriptures beginning with verse 21. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you 
who practice lawlessness. And then he goes right into our key text today, therefore, whoever hears. Now, let's talk just for a moment about those who practice, not occasionally slip into it or have a bad day or, you know, do something that's wrong and then they repent. No, we're talking about those who practice lawlessness. So this is something that's not only being done, but it's something that's not even being restrained at least as long as they can get away with it, they're not going to be restrained in it, and they are practicing lawlessness. Who are these that are doing this? Well, first of all, it would be the unbelievers, and then secondly, it would be what we could call fake Christians. Those who, for whatever reason, have learned the Christian nomenclature, and they can speak certain words, certain phrases, and perhaps even have an external uh, religious exterior, but they're not right with God. And then, uh, very dangerously, there could be some that uh, at one point they were Christians, and now they've gone into a gray area, and somehow they've crossed a, a line where they are now doing things that are in the eyes of God uh, would be falling in a category of lawlessness, and I don't know where the gray area starts. I don't know really where the line is drawn, where a person would move from having walked with God. Now they're actually into this place of where they're practicing lawlessness. Uh, that's really something only God can make the call on. But uh, such people would also be in this unfortunate category of being those who practice lawlessness. Now, what is Lawlessness. You, you have to understand this in order to stand, uh, to really kind of grasp the weight of what Jesus is talking about, uh, building your life on the rock. So let's talk just for a moment about lawlessness, because eventually there is coming, it cannot be stopped, there is coming the man of sin, the Antichrist. He has different names in Scripture. Uh, he's called the little horn. He's called the beast. The beast is probably the most accurate name really for the Antichrist. Uh, but he's also called the man of sin as well as being called the man of, guess what? The man of lawlessness. Well, if, if, if he is a man of lawlessness, what exactly does that mean he's going to do? Or in some situations, what is he not going to do? Well, let's turn over just for a moment to the teachings of the Apostle Paul. And take a look at this in Second Thessalonians. And this is going to be chapter 2. And we're going to drop down to uh, verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of lawlessness, some translations say the man of sin, is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. Now let's go to verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Wow, the lawless one. Uh, he's lawless. He doesn't keep the law. What law? What laws uh, are there that this man refuses to honor 
or keep. He breaks them. He's the lawless one. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's really good news concerning the coming Antichrist. We already know his end result of what's going to happen to him. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one, this man of sin, this son of perdition, the one that's going to eventually be thrown into the lake of fire. Well, he is the lawless one. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, uh, excuse me, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. It's very interesting that if you don't receive truth and you reject it, you're given over to a spirit of deception. We see that in the following verse. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Why? Because that's what they wanted to believe. They didn't want to believe the truth. And so people will be greatly influenced by the lawless one who is coming. He's not here now. And of course, many people say, Pastor Stephen, could he, could he be on the earth today? <laughs> well, Scripture technically says that he is in uh, this spiritual dimension called the bottomless pit. He was uh, and he is not, but he will be. In other words, he is somebody that once was on the earth, but he's not on the earth right now because he is in uh, that uh, continual falling state of being in, in the bottomless pit, but he's going to be let out and he will be empowered by Satan and he will be the one that is known as the Antichrist, the man of sin. So is he walking around on the earth somewhere right now? Maybe he's only 16 years old. No, he's a person that's already been here. And he's going to come back. Uh, if you study, I'll give you a few tips. If you study ancient history, there has only ever been one conqueror who conquered everything as far as the known world would go. And, and from the perspective of what the biblical writers called the known world, there's only been one person who ever conquered the entire known world at that time, never ever lost a battle, and died undefeated. And if you study about that person, most scholars believe he is the one that is being referred to who was and is not, but will be. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on that. But one thing's for sure, he is the lawless one. Praise God. Well, if he is lawless, what laws are there that he's refusing to keep? I mean, is he breaking traffic laws? Is he the lawless one because he speeds and the, the highway says speed limit 65 or 70 and he goes 85? Probably not. That's probably not that, what that's referring to. But I would say as a little side note, rabbit trail, uh, for those of you that are not picking up my American uh, slang right there, rabbit trail means a, uh, I'm taking a little side trip with my message yeah, but I'll get back on the main path. Uh, let me just say, my friends, to the best of your ability, always obey the law, uh, unless these are laws uh, that would directly violate the Scripture. 
uh, kind of like what Pharaoh was doing back in the ancient days, telling the Hebrews, the, the, the women, to throw your children, throw your sons into the Nile River so the crocodiles could eat them because we don't want a deliverer to be raised up. And, of course, we knew that person was Moses, and there were prophecies, and now you've got a bunch of... Uh, uh, religious, uh, not not religious, but politicians uh, there in Egypt getting very nervous. So the Pharaoh says, kill all the young. <laughs> so, so yes, disobey that. But for the uh, normal everyday means of operating, we're actually told to honor those in authority, not disrespect them, even if you don't agree with them, but to honor them, pray for them, and uh, by all means, obey the laws. And that would even include um, driving the speed limit. Don't go over the speed limit. If the speed limit's 60, don't go 84. Don't do things like that. It's a terrible Christian witness, but also uh, it does something not so much uh, pertaining to your witness, but pertaining to your conscience and the way that you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Mm -mm. Be mindful of these types of things. Well, uh, uh, I don't think the lawlessness one, uh, the Antichrist, is really too concerned about, you know, violating a carpool lane or maybe driving in it by himself instead of having two people in the car. I don't think we're really uh, talking about that. We're not really talking even about U.S. laws and uh, things like that or U.N. rules and regulations. We're not, not even talking about laws really of other religions like Sharia law. Pastor Stephen, will he keep the Sharia law? He's not going to keep anything that he, that he doesn't want to. <laughs> so... Um, to receive the title of the lawless one, and also Jesus referring uh, in Matthew chapter 7 to those who practice lawlessness, what law, in essence, are they violating? The only one that, in the eyes of God, uh, has uh, truth in it. And that would be, from Scripture, what we would know as the Torah, the law of God, and it's precepts, its judgments, its commandments, and the teachings of Christ Jesus in the Gospels and the epistles. So we could put it all together and basically say that the practice of lawlessness is those who practice violating what God says in his word. And the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, will have no respect for anything that the Bible says. If God says, uh, the earth is created in six days and God rested on the seventh. He won't believe that. He won't honor that. Uh, if, uh, if, the, if the Bible says marriage is between one man and one woman, that doesn't mean anything to him. He's lawless in every area of his life. And so Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you, even if they were doing it in his name, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And perhaps you can even think within your mind, I don't want to drop too many hints, but even in your mind, those within the church who have notoriety, but yet they speak with the platform because they're well-known and they actually encourage and endorse lawless behavior. Now, they may not... Uh, they, they, it's not like they're saying, hey, go up, uh, go out and uh, get a sword or a machete and start killing people. They're not saying anything crazy like that, but they are saying things that are totally opposite of what God said in his word. And that is the practice of lawlessness. And when people are doing that, even if they're in the church, you can slip over into a place of total deception. And before you know it, you're so off the path, you're in gross 
darkness. Woo! It's very, very danger, uh, dangerous to violate anything in God's Word. Why? Because you're not on the rock anymore if you're doing that. You have, you have now moved over to a completely different type of foundation that is extremely unstable. Well, let's jump now into our key verse by swinging back around to it. Verse 24, Therefore, in light of everything that he has said previously, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, this phrase, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, is a uh, direct look back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and this is a concept known amongst the ancient Hebrews as Shema, and it is the meditation upon a prayer of devotion to the Lord, and it is the ability to stop and listen to listen. The Lord told Israel, listen. And then he gave him, uh, gave them instructions of how they should believe and who they should put their faith and trust in, which would be God and God alone. And so they were to listen and they were to uh, not just hear it, but they were to obey that. Do not have any false idols. Do not have any false gods. They were not even allowed to have an image uh, formed uh, within their home, lest they succumb to a temptation to worship it. And uh, that is something I think we should be mindful of in some ways. Um, uh, certain statues and certain things, it's almost like, uh, I don't know, sometimes people, they, they venerate it to a degree where it can become worship. And I'm really uh, convinced in my heart that's why the Lord hid the body of Moses. Because if the children of Israel, now they hated him while he was alive, <laughs> I wouldn't say hate, they just... They just so disliked him because he held them to the law, held them to the commandments of the Lord. And that was frustrating, I'm sure, to their flesh. But they had a hard time with him while he was alive. But when he, when he died, when he was dead, they were just like devastated. They're, they're like our great leader. Oh, he's not here anymore. <laughs> but God hid his body because if they would have had access to his body, they probably would have built some type of a monument and worshipped it, and uh, they would have elevated Moses uh, to a place probably almost like a deity. So these are very serious things the Lord brings forth. And we have to listen. We have to hear. And, we, and if we do this, we're going to move into a place of great wisdom. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. You know, uh, this is something consistent throughout church history that the church has always really loved and appreciated those ministers that have great oratorical anointing or gifting. And I can think of a couple of ministers, one particularly that I know that it's, he's like magnetic when he preaches. His voice is, um, it's like electricity. It's, just, it's, it's charged. It's, it's powerful. Now he's not perhaps as, uh, how can I say, as uh, popular uh, as he used to be, not that popularity is a measure of right standing with the Lord, but he's still rock solid. He hasn't lost the anointing at all. Um, he's probably stronger in the anointing than he's ever been. But my goodness, when he preaches, it's just, it's just incredible. Um, and actually, the most amazing thing, I was sitting at a restaurant with my wife, 
um, about a month ago, and uh, we were all relaxed, and Kelly's mom had come out from California, and her sister from California, and some, some other friends that were in the family from another state were having lunch, and the phone rang, and uh, it was a it was a call for me, and it was actually from that pastor. I had never spoken to him or met him in my life before, and he called me. <laughs> I thought, uh, Kelly said, Stephen, you better take this call. Uh, we got all these family members here, but you need to step out and take this call. I said, yes, I think I absolutely should, as I was kind of like uh, jaw-dropping uh, in the sense that this great man of God was calling me. Uh, and he, He's much older than me, but he's still known around the world probably— as one of the most electrifying preachers on the planet. Now, yes, he's Pentecostal, so that comes with the fire and that anointing, but some some God gives an extra measure just to be able to talk where they could, uh, I don't know, you could think they could talk about how to rewire your refrigerator, and you'd sit there going, that's the most, uh, most anointed message I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> they could talk about how to replace the screws on your doorknob, and you'd be all excited. It's some, there's something about that anointing that God can give. But here's the thing. We have to realize that even with great speakers and nobody, nobody could top Jesus with that anointing and that you talking about authority and uh, power, uh, mesmerizing, you know, the, the audience, so to speak. But still, this is what the Lord's trying to get across to them. Still, when it's all said and done, you have to do what has been said. We preachers are not just saying these things just because, well, this is what we're supposed to do and we're like some kind of, you know, like, you know, a parrot or robot or something like that. No. There are many of us that preach this from a perspective of we know Jesus means what he says here. And if you do what's right, you're rock solid. But if you're goofing around, messing around, and somehow think, oh, this won't affect me or somehow that you're immune or something like that to uh, obeying the scriptures and you won't get bit, Oh, you're on the sand, and it's shifting. It's not stable, and this is something that the Lord takes very, very seriously. So we must realize that while it can be very edifying because it brings faith to listen to a message, that is an incomplete outcome if we stop there. We have to continue. We have to hear and obey. We have to listen, and then we have to walk it out what we have received from the Lord Verse 25, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall. It did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. What are the rock? Uh, Or what is the rock? It's the word of God. Is it the words of Jesus? Yes. What he taught in the gospels? Yes. But all of it is the inspired word. Word of God from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 2 and everything in between. It is the living Word of God. And you build your life on the Word of God. Hallelujah. Well, Pastor Stephen, I, I, I have to be honest. You may be thinking, you may be thinking, Pastor Stephen, I, I, I don't really know the Word like I should. I, I'm not really well versed in the book of Deuteronomy, and I have to admit, I read through Leviticus, and I, I get a little bogged down. Uh, what if there's stuff in there that I don't know? Well, Jesus helps you out quite a bit. Let's take a look at it, because Jesus said uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, and we see here in uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, a question was asked to Jesus, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Because there's a lot of commandments, different ones. 
Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's number one. If you get that one down, you're really doing good. And number two, uh, verse 38, this is the first and great commandment. Verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Okay, so you may not have the book of Deuteronomy memorized. You may not be familiar with it. I hope you do. I pray that you will. But just by understanding these two commandments, love the Lord God with all your heart, your mind, and strength. And then number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you love your neighbor... Uh, as you do, you're not going to gossip about them. You're not going to steal his barbecue off of his back patio while he's gone because you wouldn't want somebody to steal yours. And if you love people, you're not going to do anything to hurt them or harm them. And so by obeying that, you are actually fulfilling the, the law in its totality. And we also see that James touched on this in James chapter 2. And in verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. Woo, glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. So those things really help us. Those are great guidelines for us. Now, let's jump back over to Matthew chapter 7. Let's go to verse 26. Let's talk about the sand. We've seen the great benefit of building our lives upon the rock. And when you're on the rock, you're on the word, you're safe. Uh, even when the storms, the floods, because when the storm, all the rain, all, all the water coming down, the water can't escape uh, as much as it should because it, it just doesn't have anywhere to go. And eventually you get into the floods and then the wind and the way, all that stuff beating against your house. But see, the right building procedure connects the house to the foundation. It's not like the house is just sitting on top of it, not held down. No, it's joined and fastened to it. And that's the way you are with the Word. You're integrated. The Word is integrated to, into you. It's just like the vine into the branch, and there is a strong connection. And so you're on the rock. You're going to be just fine. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, you know, there were a lot of people listening to him, and he's trying to get this across to him. It's not about just that, hey, I'm really glad you came out. Thank you for coming out and sitting on the grass and, uh, you know, taking your time out in the sun and uh, taking a break from work to come hear me preach. But that's not all there is to it. Seeing the miracles, that's all great, but that's not all there is to it. Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Well, back in those days, nobody would do that. They would think that's crazy. Today, there are some engineering techniques that do allow buildings to be built on sand, but it's never preferable. And even when architects and engineers work with these rare moments when they have to build on sand, they have to use some very... Um, unorthodox methods of securing that building. Uh, there are buildings like in Dubai. I'm thinking of the Burj El Arab, the world's only seven-star hotel. And it is built completely on sand, on a small little man-made island just off of the beach area. And they put it out in the water because 
They didn't want the hotel to block the sun on the beach, so they moved it out into the water a little bit, and it's a very iconic building that has the, the, it has the shape of a sail from like a yacht or, or like a boat. So it's a very beautiful building, but it's all built on sand, and so they have to really compact the sand and you know create this man-made island, but they drove many, many pillars down into the ground that were about literally about 150 feet in length because there's no rock. Uh, you, you can move the sand and keep digging and digging, but there's, there's just no rock. <laughs> so <laughs> it's very, very challenging. But I tell you, if there was an earthquake, would not want to be in a skyscraper, a very tall building like that. And uh, so you don't want to build on sand unless you're in a, an area of the world where that's all you've got. And so you're going to have to work with what you have. But outside of that, everybody that Jesus uh, was talking to, they all understood that. Yeah, you don't take your house and go build it on the sand. That's crazy. That's just not a good idea. Why? The the sand moves. It's not stable. And if it's unstable and, uh, you know, it, it means the house basically can, can collapse. And even children know this. I was at the beach a couple of months back and uh, I was with my oldest daughter. Kelly and I went with her and her family, her husband and kids. We had a great time. And this is uh, out on the Carolina coast. And there, there was an area that's actually pretty remote. And most of the time, when I was on the beach, I could look to my left on the sand all the way down as the ocean, because we're right on the ocean. I could look for a mile and not see one person. I could look to the right. I could look an entire mile, not see one person. Ooh, I was loving it. Praise God. So I get out there with the grandkids. And, uh, you know, what, what do little kids want to do when they're seven years old and four years old or whatever that age group might be? They want to build sandcastles. And you know what? You can build it and prepare it just as good as you can, but come high tide, it's all over with in a matter of seconds. Those big um, rushes of water, surges of salt water come in and just pull that, literally pull that sandcastle right out to the sea. <laughs> Nobody, not, not even a child would build anything on a sandcastle because they know it just doesn't work. It doesn't last. But so often people can do that and they're, they're moving off of the word of God and it's very foolish. I would even call it reckless behavior. We have to be very, very careful about this. And it talks about, again, the foolish man who built his house on the sand, verse 27, and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. The foundation got washed out underneath it. There's nothing to support it, and the house collapsed. Now, we all know that, in essence, what the Lord, the thrust of what he's trying to say here is that your walk with God, your spiritual life, needs to be built on the rock of God's word. Jesus is not trying to give an ar architectural lesson here. He's not speaking to a group of engineers, uh, or you know, at an engineering university. He's speaking to normal, regular people that want to make heaven. Okay, so in order to do that, your spiritual life must be built upon uh, solely the word of God. And when you do that, Jesus says that you are a wise person and that you are walking in wisdom. Now, I want you to realize that the foolish person who built on the sand, the house fell. Regardless of 
how you live your life, whether you're going to be a man on the rock or a man on the sand, I need to let you know that either way, storms come. Storms come to everybody in life. I like what Dave Ramsey has said before. He has said that stupid will always be stress tested. And he's not saying that a person is stupid, but he's saying stupid behavior, doing stupid things with your money, doing stupid things with your life, making stupid, crazy, foolish decisions. It will be tested. It will be stress tested. What happens to stupid when it's stress tested? It totally falls apart. Why? It's stupid. (laughs) It's foolish. (laughs) Uh, From the get-go, it was doomed to failure. It couldn't even work from the beginning. Yet there can be a time where you walk it out and you think, well, maybe, maybe it'll get traction. Maybe it'll work. But, and, uh, and maybe it can survive for a little while, but not during a storm. That's when you find out what works in life and what doesn't. So I'm telling you right now, stay on the rock, stay on the teachings of Christ Stay on the entirety of God's word. Don't let anything move you off of that. Praise the Lord. Because storms come to everybody in life. But if you're on the rock and you're trusting in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will get through it. You know, you can't rebuke every storm. I know Jesus rebuked the storm when he was out on the Sea of Galilee and rebuked it. And instantly the wind stops the waves become calm. Sea is like glass. But what about the Apostle Paul? When he was out on the ship for 14 days and 14 nights, and they couldn't even see the sun because all it did was rain, 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 clouds, rain, 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 and the boat going up and down like a nonstop roller coaster. You know, you get on a roller coaster for about four minutes, and it's a lot of fun. But if it just kept on going, you'd be like, this is crazy. This is, this is nuts. Well, imagine doing that for 14 days, 14 days. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. And so, uh, he had to ride through it. Well, pastor Stephen, I'll tell you what, if I'd have been there, I'd have got up, got up on the bow of that ship. And I'd I would have said, I rebuke this storm in the name of Jesus. Now, Paul stand back and learn a few things from me. I'm going to rebuke the storm. No, trust me. If Paul couldn't do it, you and I certainly wouldn't be able to do it either. You cannot rebuke every storm and command it to stop, command it to leave your life and so forth. Some things you have to go through them, certain storms and trials, and you have to be able to face them. But when you face them grounded in the word, full of the word of God, wisdom will be expressed through that situation. And when it's all said and done, you're still standing. You're still standing. Praise the Lord. But if you choose to do foolishness and you don't take God's commandments seriously and you're, you're breaking things, you're violating things, you're playing in gray areas, storms will come and there will be very difficult consequences for having built on the sand. Now look at verse 28. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now the scribes would be primarily the Pharisees and they were the religious scholars. 
They were experts in the Mosaic law. But a lot of their teaching had gotten over into customs. And they would talk about what we would call verses, and then they would say, now this is what the ancient rabbi so-and-so said this means, and uh, this is what the commentaries say this mean. And so uh, the teaching had gotten real dry and also had gotten bogged down with customs. But when Jesus is teaching, it's not, it's not like really quoting somebody else. He doesn't need to quote anybody else. He's, he's just expounding upon the Word of God and its principles. And there was such authority in his, in his teaching, they were, just, they were just blown away by it. Why? Because of, of a couple of reasons. Number one, truth will always catch your attention. Number two, truth releases authority. Why? Why does it do that? Because there is authority in being right. If, if you are wrong, if you are a con man or a swindler, you can have a poker face, but your authority can only go so far. But true authority is expressed through truth. And, oh, he's preaching. He's just going at it. And uh, they were stunned <laughs> by what he said. <laughs> so we, we want to embrace these teachings because Jesus meant what he said about living by his word. We live by faith, but that's not a wild, random faith. That is faith in his teachings and his principles. Now, please don't ever forget this because it is critical in your life. And when I was a young Christian, nobody ever taught me this. I learned this later in life. And I learned it through a, a tremendous minister. But... but you know, there, there is the principle of growth and grace. But I do wish, if, go, if I could look back and do some things over again, I do wish that perhaps there could have been some better teachers in my life that would have tried to have driven it into me that you have to follow this book just as the Lord said, and if you think you can do other ways of living and it not affect you, then watch out. But I was never really told that. I heard various messages on grace, uh, and, and, I, and I love the grace of God. Uh, it's, it's in the Word of God. But sometimes we're not so much taught about the, the gravity of what it means to violate the commandments of the Lord. And yes, there's forgiveness for sin, uh, but there's also grace to live in a way that honors God and where we keep the commandments of the Lord. So this is what I want to say. There's two parts to Jesus. There is the part of Jesus, which I would call the part that creates your peace. And unfortunately, that in many ways is about the only part that many evangelicals know him as, Jesus who has brought me peace through salvation. I have put my faith in Christ, and I've been born again. Yes, and you are born again. And yes, you're on your way to heaven. But if you only know him as Jesus, the man of peace, then you're going to miss out on some other areas. So you need to know the second part of Jesus, because that part of peace, that creates that security in your life, that God loves me, and I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven, okay? And that's good. That, that was precious, comforting feeling. But the other part of Jesus is his principles, and it is his principles that creates your prosperity. 
And so while you can love Jesus because of his of the peace he brings into your life, if you are touching any areas of that we could call lawlessness, or you're violating the law of God, which is violating the word of God in any area, then it will affect your prosperity. It will affect the way the blessing can work in your life, whether it can flow or be limited or restricted or constricted. So these things are very, very important because most people, they only know Jesus uh, from that area of two parts, the first part being his peace. Now, when I say two parts of Jesus, most people think, oh, that would be his humanity and his divinity merged together in one. That's not what I'm talking about, although that is a fun subject. But I'm talking about uh, his peace, the person of Jesus that creates your peace, and the principles of Jesus. Many of those I was never taught when I was younger in the faith. I was never taught about the principles of Jesus, that if you do these things, you work his word, work his principles, that creates your prosperity. I was never taught that. Oh, but I knew God loved me and I loved him. But I had a lot of goofed up areas in my life. Why? I didn't know principles. I didn't know that Jesus really meant what he said. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So it was like sometimes I was on the rock, sometimes I was on the sand, <laughs> and sometimes I was in between. It's like I had one foot on the rock, one foot on the sand. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, you know, as a believer, you're wondering, why are things not working? How come it's not uh, working out the way God says it's supposed to? Because of certain areas, perhaps, where we're violating principles, maybe even have a little bit of lawlessness, that we just don't realize how dangerous that is to be standing on sand. Mm -mm. And then, of course, when it's tested, because it always will be, test will always come to every single person. It mean, just because you're in the church and in the faith doesn't mean you're exempt. The test, the trials of life come to everybody, the storms, as we would say. And so it reveals where you're at, really. Praise the Lord. So my friends, get glued to the rock, get glued to the Word of God, and take all of the teachings of the Lord very, very seriously. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And if you're doing something that maybe before you've done and you've laughed at it and you, were, you thought, oh, this is no big deal, suddenly realize, wait a minute, the Lord said, don't do this. When the Lord said in His Word, in the book of Ephesians, no crude jesting, now, yes, that was Paul that said that, but he's writing in inspiration, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so it's God's Word. God said, do not be involved in coarse jesting. Well, Pastor Stephen, God knows we're human, and he knows, yeah, he knows you're, you're, you're going over into the gray area, to the dark area. Don't do that. Oh, Pastor Stephen, we're all just human. You're being too serious. Yeah, I'm being, I'm being serious because I've been on the sand uh, too much when I was younger in life. And uh, don't want to walk over in those areas anymore. I'm not talking about I don't want to go to the beach. I'm just talking from a spiritual perspective. I don't like sand. I like being on the rock. Praise the Lord. So if you find yourself uh, going over into something that the Lord said, stay on the rock, this is sand, then, uh, you know, stay on the word. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Be very careful because... 
it's almost like there's a war between the Republicans and the Democrats. Now, I'm talking to the American audience just for a moment. And um, you have to be careful even uh, if, let, let's say you're a Republican, you have to be careful that you don't slip into a thing where you uh, get caught up in saying something that's very dishonorable. I know recently at a church, uh, the church allowed a political speaker to speak, and the next thing you knew, a chant broke out in the church of a, a popular slogan, I guess uh, many people are saying, of a conservative nature when they get together. Uh, and I won't say what it is, but it's, um, it's slang words for very profane words. And I can't say something like that. Even if I don't agree with the president's policies, and I think they're awful, I can't, I can't gauge in that kind of conversation. And I'm glad the pastor later repented. He said, I should have never let that have happened in my church. And uh, he said, I take responsibility for that, and that was wrong. And so he repented of that. The Lord bless him. So even if those we don't disagree with, we're supposed to even pray for our enemies. That doesn't mean we're doormats and we let people stomp on us and do all kinds of awful things to us because when they were about to really rough Paul up one time, he said, you do know that what you're about to do, you're about to do it to a Roman citizen. <gasps> and they were like, you're a Roman citizen? He said, yes, I sure am. And they suddenly they're like, they backed off because he's like, I'm going to use my legal rights. I'm not just your beating bag. I'm not your punching bag or your, you know, somebody you can practice your whip with, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> but at the same time, while you can be strong, you're always respectful and courteous. And we have to have uh, that balance of salt and light in a world that can be very, very nasty. Because just because you can be conservative doesn't mean you're born again. Doesn't mean you're right with God. Just just because you don't want to see babies aborted, which, uh, thank God, you, ha you have that understanding and belief. But that doesn't mean that you've been born again, washed with the blood of Jesus, and on your way to heaven. So that's my message as a preacher. You must be born again. And then, of course, when you're born again, you need to live right. And yes, what God said is wrong is wrong. And these are awful things that many politicians not only do and endorse. And unless there's repentance, there will be eternal consequences for having done such horrific things. But my friends, we must. In these type of areas, it's not like pick sides. Although, yes, I'm a conservative person, but even if you're conservative, you still need Jesus or else you're going to all end up in the same bad place. You can only be saved by faith through salvation in Christ alone, not by, quote, being a good person. While you should be a good person and society works a lot better when we're good people, nobody, nobody is good enough to get to heaven on their own. That's why you need a mediator, a go-between between you and God, and that man, that person is Jesus Christ. Glory to God. All right. So what is wisdom? Accepting Christ, knowing Christ, following his commandments, staying on the rock. Because there's storms everywhere right now. There's all kinds of financial storms. There's uh, disease and germs and sickness storms and flare-ups of this and that. So we have to be really grounded right now. Praise the Lord. Lift your hands. I want to pray for you. Father, bless your people and let them be on the rock in your word day and night. And let us stay away from lawlessness, even, even in these areas of uh, not speeding, even in uh, areas that we may think are small, but they still, uh, we have to do what honors you. 
We just give you praise, Father God. We thank you. Help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit who quickens your word to us on a daily basis. And we thank you, Father, that we choose to live by being on the rock founded in your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Bless your people, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Well, if you're watching today's program and you've never gotten on the rock, you do that by putting your faith and trust in Christ and turning from your sin. If you've never done that before and you would like to, I want to invite you to receive Christ right now as your personal Lord and Savior. It's very simple. Just pray this prayer from your heart. Pray it after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, but you died on the cross to save sinners like me. Jesus, I repent from my sin. I ask you to save me. Come into my heart. Wash me with your precious blood and write my name in your book of life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the family of God. Praise the Lord. Welcome to the rock. Praise the Lord. All right, let's take Holy Communion today. Grab some unleavened bread. I use these little bitty wafers. If you don't have one, just grab a cracker. Grab some grape juice. That's what I've got in my cup. I would show you the inside, but I don't want to spill any. Praise God. (laughs) Amen. And if you don't have grape juice, get something else to substitute for the time being, and the Lord will honor that, okay? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. We ask that you would bless it. We set it apart as being holy. And we thank you that this is now the body and the blood of Christ. And Father, as we receive the flesh of the Lord Jesus, we thank you that we want our lives to be word-based. We want to live in truth. We don't want to ever live in a lie. Father, we don't want to ever ever believe a crazy lie that people would say that we came from an amoeba that crawled out of the sea or something as idiotic and stupid as that. When, Father, it says in your word, you created the heavens and earth, you created Adam, and you created Eve from out of Adam. And, Lord, you are the creator of all of these things. And, Lord, your word stands as the highest authority over any other uh, thing that would be out there. So we look to your word for truth so that we might be on the rock because anything else is sand. Thank you. Woo! Thank you, Father, for your word. We receive your flesh now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive. Praise the Lord. Don't go to a lying preacher just because you want him to tickle your ears. You can find preachers out there that tell you anything you want. If, If a person says, well, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with this. I think I should be able to live with that person if I want to. I don't, we don't need to be married or we don't even need uh, to be different sex. We can, we can do whatever we want. I'll, look, there's preachers out there that will tell you anything that you want. They have, they have no standard. They're not on the word. What are they doing? They are practicing lawlessness. Some even teach it. and Some even do it with a very bold face. Some wear clerical robes when they do it and even hold up a cross. Some even sprinkle holy water or call it holy water 
while they'll tell you that you can do this and it's okay. And God says in his word, this is wrong. This is wrong. Mm. I'm telling you, the consequences of being on the sand, they can be eternal. Well, Pastor Stephen, I don't know about that. Well, let me just say this. Being wrong is something that you would have to live with for all eternity in a very hot place, if you know what I'm talking about. So don't take that chance. Get on the truth. Get on the rock. Amen. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus, the only remedy for sin, faith and trust in Christ through his shed blood. And Father, we ask as believers in Christ that if we have committed any sin, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins, wash them away, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, O God. And Father, we forgive anybody, anyone who has sinned against you. And Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace. Father, I think I can't help but think of so many people every day that profane and blaspheme your name with the abbreviated expression of GD. They, they stub their toe and they shout GD, the full uh, words out. And uh, something goes wrong and they shout this. And Lord, people all day long curse your sacred holy name. God have mercy on them. Many of them don't know what they're doing. They have no idea they're practicing lawlessness. For you said in your word, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Mm. Mm. Father, we give you praise. Let there be cleansing and forgiveness so that we live right. My friends, I was in church as a young boy. I was about eight years old and uh, I was in a the young people's Bible study, uh, everybody in there was probably between the ages of 14 and six. I was probably right around eight years old. And, uh, the teacher there was a very kind man and a very good teacher. And one of the young, uh, one of the young boys, he said the word, uh, he said, he said this word in a sentence and the word was D-A-N-G. Okay, so he did not say like a real blasphemous word, but he said the word D-A-N-G, like D-A-N-G it or something like that. And the instructor stopped and he said, he said, young man, he said, don't use that word. And he said, well, I didn't use a curse word. He said, I know you didn't, but it's too close to the curse word. It's like the cousin of the curse word. (laughs) Don't see how close you can get to lawlessness and dance around it. Don't say something like that. And I still remember that today. Be careful with these things, these words, because Jesus meant what he said. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We receive his blood now with great thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive the blood of Christ. Oh, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Amen. My friends, go today and continue to build your life on the rock, the teachings the sayings of God's Word. Thank you for watching, and God bless you. I'll see you back next time.